welcome to another episode of the Graceology Podcast. My name is Jeff New. I'm one of your co-hosts, and I am so glad you're here. Today, we are going to be talking about the question, how does God feel about us? And this is inspired by the book Among Kings, which is a book that Grace Church of Laverne is using for the summer reading program. And this is going to be based off of the fifth and sixth chapters of that book, if you're following along. If you've never heard of the book, never touched a book, no worries. You'll be able to follow along with us right now. And so, again, the question that we're going to explore is, how does God feel about us? And so, who better to help answer this question than our co-host, Becca Arias. And um, Becca, can you answer that question for us? Yes, yes. Easy question. So... I feel like God, in his honesty, in the way he sees us, he thinks that we are flossom. Um, okay, so I, I have to give reference to that. This is a reference that who knows you might not get if you are a boomer or you are a Gen Z, but if you are a chuggy millennial like me, you might know that this is from Tyra Banks and this is from America's Next Top Model. And um, the funny thing is it sounds really trite, but it actually came from her real experience of um, getting bullied for having a big forehead and trying to be in modeling, which is all about how you look and how you present yourself. And she decided there's nothing I can do about this. I'm just going to embrace it. And I'm going to show the world that I can be beautiful on top of it. So um, all of that to mean the the term has kind of turned into a way to just say, I'm not going to apologize for the little things that are wrong with me, the imperfections. I know about them. I'm aware of them. Um, but I'm not going to sit there and try to hide them or allow myself to get bullied for them, things like that. So, um, but I think there's, um, a balance because there's also, you know, in Instagram and with social media, the way it is, people are always trying to present, I think it's, it's kind of had an evolution, right? At the beginning of Instagram, it was all about being perfect, like absolutely perfect. It was all about having very consistent filters so that you had the same shading and coloring and ambiance and warmth for all of your pictures. And then all of a sudden people started to feel that it was fake and they felt that because it was fake. Um, so people decided, well, we need to inject a little bit of reality into this, but like they injected in a way that it was almost a bit artificial. And so they, it was almost the semi-perfect and Instagram went through its own phase of trying to be flossom. Um, but the thing we kind of have to be careful about is that it's still very engineered and there was still a lot of attention paid to how you were manufacturing your image. So whether it was 100% perfect or whether it was 98% perfect, it was all about your image and how you were being perceived and that sort of thing, which, you know, we as people, we can sense that that's fake. God, who knows all of us inside and out, he knows that that's fake. He's not at all interested, of course, in our brand or the way we're coming across He's interested in the genuineness. And even in the genuineness, we have flaws. So um, it's just one of those things where I feel like I want people to know God isn't needing you to be, you know, even semi-perfect. Uh, God can use someone who is in a, in a place where they feel like they have deep issues that they need to work on, or it, you know, he can use someone that might not even be someone you'd sit down and have a cup of coffee with. Um, he can still use someone, um, that other people have overlooked. Um, and it doesn't need to be someone who's almost perfect. It could be 
truly anyone. So, so God um, can see us and ex- as we are, regardless of our flaws, and still feel very strongly or passionately that there, there's a connection, there's a love that we have, or that God has towards us. And when, when, when you say the term flossom, it's more of like, oh, I'm flossom. And I can see how that can get to someone's head. Like, I'm flossom. Don't worry about it. God still loves me. I can do that. Or, you yeah, know what? If true. you can't accept me for like this weirdness that I have. Then that's or, your problem. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, and, and I feel like it can very quickly um, just be used in almost a manipulative or even just an, a, a negative or even evil way. Like, I'm flossom. It's okay. Like, um, you know, and, and I think maybe what I'm trying to say is it can almost feed into like the ego uh, and, and definitely it could feed a narcissist in that way. Like, mm-hmm. and so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, and it's one of those things. So like, I know narcissism has had a moment in the culture, people, um, especially on like Reddit and Quora and all that kind of stuff, they'll go into whether there are narcissistic tendencies. Um, it's funny because it's an actual, you know, psychological, uh, state. And so I kind of prefer the term egotistical. Um, but yeah, it is something that, you know, we want to be careful of. Again, I just feel like it's a lot of, image management. Um, and you know, as, as people say, like, you know, we need to like love ourselves. Is that true? Yes, that's absolutely true. And people say you do you, and should we give our, you know, each other freedom to, you know, go through their life and handle their life and their family decisions the best way possible? Of course. Um, but again, a lot of it just comes down to, it gets wrapped around the self and it becomes, all about this is me, this is how I want to do things. And a little bit like, you know, screw you if you don't agree with that. Um, And anything where we just start thinking about ourselves too much becomes toxic. So yeah, no, I I agree. And you said something that I thought was really interesting. And it was the the term or the phrase image management. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking about our question, what does or um, how does God feel about us? And the way God feels about us doesn't change. It's how we view God from, you know, our perspective. How are we going to accept how God feels about us? How are we going to embrace it? How are we going to live it out? Um, And that term image management is interesting because, you know, God loves me unconditionally. You know, we can go there, you know, Jesus loves me. Yes, I know what the (laughs) Bible tells me. So, right. We know this, Mm -hmm. but does my life reflect that? Mm-hmm. And I can manage my image and that, that, you know, in this way that says, yes, I can make it look like I am doing all the things in this, you know, checklist I made up of how to appease God, how to show the world that I love God. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag prosperity and yeah. gospel and culture. <laughs> but I might not know God. Mm-hmm. I might not really care about God. And this isn't a new problem. This is something we see over and over again, not just in our lives, but in the lives around us and even historically. And so, and it makes me think of um, Amos, which is, uh, it's a book in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. And he was sent to Israel multiple times to say like, Israel, like you're, you're a kingdom, but you're, you're becoming kind of lazy. Like you're forgetting about God who, you know, delivered you from Egypt and you're forgetting about you know, what you're called to, the life you're called to live. Mm-hmm. And so um, it makes me think of uh, John Foreman, who's the lead singer of Switchfoot. Um, 
I'm sure you've heard of that band at least. Um, but he, he does a lot of side projects and one of them was just his solo uh, EPs. And he wrote a song called Instead of a Show. And this whole idea of um, image management makes me think of this song because it, it says this. It says, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your praise, the hypocrisy of your festivals. I hate all your show. Away with your noisy worship. Away with your noisy hymns. I stomp on my ears when you're singing them. I hate all your show. Instead, let there be a flood of justice, an endless procession of righteous living. Instead, let there be a flood of justice instead of a show. He goes on to say, your eyes are closed when you're praying. You sing right along with a band. You shine up your shoes for services. There's blood on your hands. I know it just went really deep, really heavy. He continues and he says, you turned your back on the homeless and the ones who don't fit in your plan. Quit playing religion games. There's blood on your hands. It's it's hard. I mean, that kind of stuff, it is very hard hitting. It's I almost feel like we should do a dramatic pause here <laughs> just for effect. Um, um, so but when I listen, when I hear something like that, it does like it hits hard. And I guess like it, it for me personally, it doesn't take too much for something to hit hard with me. Um, but it also reminds me about the time circa 2003, when I was in college, I remember there was starting to be like a pushback against some of the um, some of the superficial I, it was probably too early for the term image management because there was no social media back in uh, 2003, but people were starting to push back against this whole idea of the way we need to appear as Christians and in church. And again, as long as what we're reaching towards is something that's more genuine and um, something that's more scripture-based, I, I think that's just where we need to focus. I know personally for me growing up in the generation that I did as we were growing up you know there was purity culture and there was you know purity rings and a lot was based off of what you don't do and making sure that you appeared the correct way you know on your wedding day or in front of other Christians and there was even a little bit of a culture of like calling each other out on sins and um not in like a, a healthy private way where we were keeping each other accountable but a little bit more or like you did this, yeah, a little gossipy. more. Yeah, it was a little more accusatory. So I feel like when people started to um, more in their adult life, some people I know who've been going through um, deconstruction, which was a new term to me, but kind of where you're taking apart or really wrestling with a lot of the childhood um, beliefs that you have around um, around the scriptures and around your own relationship with God. Sometimes um, people would discover, you know, the number of times that God talks about like sexual sins and purity is not nearly as many times as the number of times that he's reminding us to take care of the poor and to take care of the homeless and to remember people who are, you know, less fortunate than we are, um, that that's what it's really about. So um, again, it's just one of those things that with time, and I wish I had the uh, the figures for you, um, you go through and you examine what the scriptures actually focus on and you find out that like God's not about how we appear. God's not about image management. I mean, if he was, 
he would never have used a prostitute. He would never have used a murderer. He would never have still called David a man after God's own heart. After what happened, he would have just said, oh, you made a mistake. You're cut off now. You're bad for my brand. <laughs> so, I mean, we're what we're all bad for God's brand at some point in our lives, right? So, but he's he's not worried about that. So, I just I, the word that I really feel for all of this is genuine. As long as you're trying to pull yourself back to genuinely what the scripture is trying to teach and where God's focus actually is, not where someone has extracted a scripture and maybe in some ways held it up as higher than all other scriptures of this is what you really need to focus on, taking everything within the context of of how it was actually said and how much it was actually focused on. Yeah. And I, I think what's interesting, I'm thinking about this as we were talking about it, is we're trying to answer the question, how does God feel about us? And we go into our image, like God's feelings towards us matter on what we look like and how we interact. And, and there's an extent to where, you know, if we're in relationship with God, I would think there's a little bit, you know, more experience of like happiness and joy in that relationship than loss than if we're not in that relationship. And Mm -hmm. so what what I'm thinking is, you know, we, we go into this image management when we try to answer just how does God feel about us, but God love for us, God's affection towards us, God's desire to be in relationship with us doesn't change whether we're flossom, whether we're humble, whether we have it all together, whatever it is. But how we view ourselves affects how we can receive or understand or appreciate how God feels about us. Hmm, that is true. And I do, I do want to draw a distinction between um, kind of selfish focusing on yourself and self-awareness. Because um, I feel like both of those things have come out kind of simultaneously, but they're distinct. Um, So if you're trying to do work on yourself, you know, trying to figure out um, maybe what your tendencies are or maybe some bad habits that you need to change or, you know, motivations, fears, things like that, all of that deep self work, that's good. And that's necessary. I personally, I don't see that as being, uh, selfish in any way. Cause the better that you understand yourself, usually the more that you can help someone else. This is like what they say to moms all the time, get your oxygen mask on before you help the little one next to you. Um, so it's, it's not bad to be under understanding yourself in a deeper way. And like you said, that's where understanding yourself um, can help you receive more of how God actually feels about you, um, receive more of that truth, like deeper into your spirit, uh, because you have a more accurate picture of, of where you are and who you are. Um, so I just want to draw that distinction. That's different than just um, the self-work is different than the image management. So... So if I'm going to put you on the spot here, I know you love this when I do this, Okay. but if (laughs) you were going to tell um, any of our listeners in one, two or three words, I'll let you choose Hmm. how God feels about them. How would you tell them or what would you tell them? The word that, that comes to mind is beloved. And I, I know that, you know, that's not a new word and it's, it's there a lot in scripture. Um, The image that comes to mind, of course, for me is my sweet little Oh my gosh, almost a year old baby girl um, who can be 
spitting and pooping and biting and doing any of that kind of stuff. And none of it matters. She's just my, my sweet little baby girl. Um, even my older kids, as you're watching them grow up, you know, it doesn't matter. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do this and that. Um, it never changes how you feel about them. And I know that that the parent analogy, I know it can be hard for some people very much depends on relationships you had in your family of origin, uh, maybe relationships that you have in your current family, um, especially if there's um, difficult dynamics and things like that. But in the, when I'm saying that, I'm meaning it in the purest sense of the word of, you know, in a healthy relationship, what you look at when you look at down at your uh, newborn baby, especially the moments you can see them smiling back at you and recognizing your presence there in their lives. I feel like that that warm sense is what I feel like God feels when he looks at us. And I do feel that that is a consistent way that he looks at us regardless. Like, I don't tend to be one of those people who who struggles with, okay, I've done something wrong, like God has dropped me or God has turned away from me or something like that. Um you know, he's supposed to be that picture of unconditional love, you know, that we maybe only see if our dog is super excited to see us after we've left them at home for 12 hours in the, in the house by themselves. Um, but yeah, in the, in the pure sense of the word, I feel like that's, that's who we are to him. Yeah. For me, the word would be, I, I agree with your word and I would say, um, I think desired or wanted. Hmm. Um, it's more active. And, and there's, there's a, a sense of pursuit there. Yes. And, you know, yeah. you, you talk about, you know, parenting with a biological child and I'm in a, a blended family. So I parent children who are not biologically mine. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I want them to know I want them. Yeah. I want them oh, in my life. I want big. them involved. Yeah. And, and I, I think there's times where, you know, I can see that, like it's rubbing off and, you know, I, I'm, you, you know me, you know, I like the dad jokes and the puns. And <laughs> when, when they start, you know, catching on to that, you know, our 10 year olds, like, He's catching puns and what people are saying, whether they're trying to be punny or not. And then <laughs> I love our five-year-old. He goes, I know you're joking. He'll look at me like, because my sarcasm or the dry humor, like sometimes people can't tell if I'm joking or not. And well, he, and with kids, it takes a while before it can hit. Yeah. <laughs> and so I can totally tell I'm corrupting them with bad humor. Um, but I I pride myself in that probably too much. <laughs> but um, so, you know, a lot of people use this this idea of a parental love. And it's like, yeah, I, I get that. But it's, you know, when there's not that biological connection, it's still there. Mm -hmm. It looks different. Mm -hmm. and, and I would even say, and I, I don't know, but I would even say it probably feels different, hmm. but it doesn't make it any less. Oh, you're not less beloved. You're not less wanted. Yeah. Um, and, and I probably same as you, no matter what, you know, our kids would do, it's not going to make us love them less. Yeah. We might like them less in the moment. <laughs> we might say, oh, you're just like your dad or you're just like your mom, but, you know, because we're, we're, um, we're flossom, so it's okay. Oh, right. Oh, that's the hardest thing. Trying to parent your own flaws out of your kid. Oh, boy. I mean, honestly, if anybody has advice for me on that, I could maybe use some of that because it's really great when you tell your kids not to do something and you're kind of like, I know why you do that because I do it and I can't stop you because I'm still doing it. <laughs> 
And it's not just biological. I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah, it is nature and nurture. I love the word you chose, though, because it really is so much more active. There's intention, there's choice behind it, and there is a pursuit and kind of a journey with it. Um, and now I'm forgetting the word that you said. Wanted or desired. Wanted, yeah. desired. Okay, yeah. No, I, I really... I, I really resonate with that. I mean, I feel, you know, they say um, adoptions, obviously, all the way through the Bible. There's some beautiful stories of it. Probably the most famous one that everyone thinks of is Moses, right? Um, and the way that he grew up and, of course, the way he found his way back to his family of origin. But I think there is that beautiful beautiful sense of being chosen um, when you are adopted that's um, probably a little bit different, you know, than when you're biological children, you're like, I didn't ask to be born, you know, or <laughs> so you get to say something terrible like that. Um, but yeah, um, I, I just, I really like that thought and, um, I like the expression of it and, um, and the way that you kind of model that in, I didn't just walk into this, get married. And then the kids are just kind of like, oh, it's a bonus or, oh, it's, you know, it's the accessories that come along with this whole package that I'm buying into. No. I feel like the way that you brought your sons in was very much like, I am choosing you. I am here. I'm in a permanent role in your life. I love you. And I would choose you again and again. And, and that's the part that I feel like, you know, maybe all children, you know, regardless need to hear that again. Like, uh, you're mine. I love you. And if I could, I would choose you and pick you again and again. Yeah. I tell our oldest every night when I put him to bed, um, I mean, we both have to put him to bed, but we have to tag team, right? Cause there's two. Right. Yeah. Um, and it says, I say to him every night, cause I, I don't know if he hears this anywhere else. And I know this is something that I heard, but I wish I would have heard more, hmm. um, growing up from my dad is I, I tell him, I love you. I'm proud of you. And you're a good man. Hmm. And, and I tell him that I don't want him to forget that I love him mm-hmm. no matter what, no matter if he was just yelling and screaming at his brother or whatever, right? That I'm proud of him, mm-hmm. that even if he didn't accomplish anything that day, I want him to know I'm proud of him. Mm-hmm. And the third thing is, is you're a good man. Yeah. Because I want him to know that him being a good man has nothing to do with what he's achieved. Yeah. Has nothing to do with what he can accomplish. It's a matter of who he is yeah, and that loving spirit in him and that compassionate, like that even though he'll, he'll fight with his younger brother, there's still this, like he cares for his younger brother yeah, and he'll sacrifice for his younger brother. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that, that repetition, I, I always tell people don't dismiss repetition. Like we, we think we hear something once and that's it. We don't need to read that chapter again. We already read it. Or, you know, we don't need to hear that message again. We've got it. No, like we repeat things to children in school and children are just what little adults. We're just what grown up kids. Uh, we're humans. We all need repetition and we all need to, um, hear something affirming like that over and over again for it to sink through enough levels for it to actually be like held deeply in our spirit. So anything like that, that you, um, can say to your children, can repeat to your children. Um, you know, I would choose you again and again, those kinds of things. Uh, you know, if you have it great, if not, Hey, it's never too late. Start one. Um, and, and repeat that and let them roll their eyes. Who cares if they're teenagers or preteens or whatever. And, you know, my daughter, Emma would probably say, Oh my gosh, mom, you know, but it doesn't matter. It's still getting through, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, 
I think um, I th- I'm thinking about everything we've been sharing. I'm thinking about how do we put a bow on this and how do we how do we say this isn't just a bunch of rambling and all that, which if that's what it is, that's fine. I, I, I've enjoyed <laughs> our conversation, but I, I you know, the, the question that we, we pose at the beginning is how does God feel about us? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I keep thinking, well, God, God loves us unconditionally. God, you know, would say that we're beloved, we are wanted, we're desired, but in a sense, we're like royalty. And, mm-hmm. and I know our idea of royalty is very different. You know, we all like, go fan crazy over royalty, even if they're not even from our country um, and what's going on. But royalty, there's something elegant. There's something um, elevated even about Mm -hmm. them. And so God loves us like we're royalty, like we're part of God's royal family. Well, it's something that can't be taken away. Mm -hmm. You know, it's in there. It's it's permanent. (laughs) Yeah. And so, and um, how does God feel about us? God loves us like we're part of the royal family family of God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we can go back and forth on image management and all that. And yeah, there's an element of it that is, hey, we need to make sure that we're we're healthy and we have things going on. But there's also a don't be fake. Yeah. Don't use that filter. Be your raw self because we see time and time again that God wants us to be authentic. I mm-hmm. think that's the word you used. Um, God wants us to be real, raw. And, and you know, whether we're reading the book of Amos, or we're listening to John Foreman's song instead of a show, or we're having a conversation with someone else, I feel like there's a constant call to remember your purpose, mm-hmm. remember your calling, remember why you're here, mm-hmm. remember, you know, God and all of this. So The remembrance, but also the security of knowing you are still mine regardless. And that's not something that you have to keep managing. It's not part of your image. That's just a permanent, like a permanent part. <laughs> I want to say it's like the Spanish verb of ser instead of a star. You know, this is a permanent who you are, not just I am in this moment, but I am permanently in this family royalty. I am God's and there's nothing that can change that or take it away from you. So yeah. this is a message for kids, right? But really, it's just a message for all of us because we're all just... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And grown up little kids. Well, I think if um, if you're good ending here, I would like to just share one of my favorite blessings. Um, and it's based out of um, a verse in Numbers, but the way that I rewrote it says this, and this is my blessing for anyone listening. May God bless you and protect you. May God show you favor and be gracious to you. May God show you kindness and grant you peace. Amen.